Hi, this is Jim Lobato, and I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you'd have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group. At Performance Group, we work at the front end of a company's revenue stream. We find the salespeople who generate the revenue, and we provide onboarding programs that get them doing that sooner. Our passion is aligning talent with opportunity. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. Enjoy the program. On our program tonight is Thomas Klobuchar. He is the CEO of Thomas Interior Systems, a Chicago-area office planning and furnishing firm that he founded in 1977. He is the two-time award winner of the Top 20 Best Places to Work in Illinois. Thomas's team has assisted well over 20,000 organizations throughout the Chicagoland area and the Midwest in improving their office work environments by helping them create great places to work. We're talking to Thomas tonight about his book, The Great Workplace Revolution. Thomas, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Jim. It's good to be here. Tom, I was interested when I got your book, because we deal a lot in working with hiring people and getting them office furniture and office space and that planning, and I got the question, okay, what's a guy in the furniture business why is he so passionate, and why did he write a book about the workplace uh, uh, revolution and the workplace environment? Well, that, that's a good question, and uh, and really, uh, we 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 like to think that we're not in the office furniture business. Uh, that, that sounds counterintuitive, but uh, what we do is uh, we create great places to work. So if we are only selling office furnishings, for chairs, desks, files, cubicles. Uh, that's been very commoditized, and uh, we choose to to uh, move to a higher level than that, and that is to help people improve their businesses by helping them create a great place to work, and that really differentiate, uh, differentiates us in the marketplace, and and it's enabled us to be quite successful. When you look at the workplace, there's really two. Well, in my opinion, you're the expert in this, and I don't mean to tell you your business. As a owner of a business who's worked with interior designers, who's planned out a couple different office spaces, I'll just give you my perspective, okay? Sure. You have, you have two elements to work with. You have the people side, which is who's working in an environment, and then you have the physical space. I mean, there's only so much you can do with a 10 by 10 room. So what I was intrigued with in your book, you really talk about the people side, so or tell our audience, in terms of creating a great workplace, what is the people side that you have to take into consideration? Sure, and that's an excellent starting point. Because, you know, all of us, uh, any of us who have been in business for any length of time, uh, grew up when we were in college and business school. Uh, our profs were sitting in front of the, of the classroom saying, now, who is number one? Who is number one? And I remember clearly standing up and holding my finger up in the air and saying, the customer is number one, and everybody else was saying the same thing. And that is no longer true, in, in, in my opinion. Uh, the, the key to creating uh, happy employees and a great place to work and being successful in customer service has now changed. And so the employee must be number one. And when you put the employee as number one in your organization, they then will always put the customer number one and and sales performance and customer service performance uh, jam goes absolutely off the charts in every case it's been documented it's proven 
and yet people, traditional people who uh, are still doing it the same old way and not willing to change, are the ones who are suffering today and they're complaining about the business economy when the rest of us who are moving toward putting the employee first are being very successful. You write in your book that 45 to as high as 60% of the people working today in an office are not happy. They're basically unhappy workers. That's right. Where does that statistic come from and why do you think that is? The, the answer to that is, is worse than actually than, than you might imagine. At the beginning, we were saying, uh, everyone was saying, somewhere between 40 and, and 60% of the office workforce is unhappy in their workplace. And that's a pretty, pretty drastic number. But interestingly, in just the last several months, I'm working on a, another book right now called The Workplace Transformation. And while I was doing that research, I uncovered some, some really frightening news, and that is that it's actually lots higher than that. There's an organization uh, in, um, in the Milwaukee area. They have come up now with a new survey that now says, and, I, and I've, I've checked this out pretty thoroughly, that it's 81% of the workforce that is unhappy. This is part of man, a division of Manpower Incorporated. And only 13%, only 13% of the U.S. workforce uh, are saying that they plan to stay where they are. But interestingly, there was a postscript to that, uh, but they said, that 13% said, but incidentally, we have upgraded our resumes just in case. <laughs> so it's, it's a pretty sad story of what's happening in the American workplace. Why do you think that is? What are the one or two drivers that you see that have so many people unhappy with their work? Actually, there are, there are 12. Uh, and I, I itemize in my book the 12 essential strategies for, for creating a great place to work. The most important one, in my opinion, is, has to do with putting the employee first, as we've just been talking. That, that is, that's key. That's foundational. And after that, I mean, then, then we, we talk about a lot about core values. If you, if you aren't sharing your core values with all of your organization, and if you don't have good core values, you can't expect to ask your employees to follow you. We believe strongly that we need to have our core values pretty well straight. Uh, third one is when I talk on this subject uh, around the country, I always get snickers on this, but one of, the, one of the key foundational essentials is to have fun in the workplace. When you have unhappy people, and if, there's, if it is anywhere between, between 60 and 81 percent, that's a huge number. And if they're unhappy, they're not having fun. In our organization, probably seven or eight, maybe nine years ago, we created uh, a new position, and we call it the director of fun. And, uh, and she uh, has been functioning that way for many years, and our organization has been having fun. Her job was to find activities that we could do together during working hours or after working hours to build camaraderie and friendships and have fun. Well, now we have moved that to a committee. We've added five people to her committee. So there's six people in our organization who every month meet together and, and plan activities in different ways, new ways for us to have fun in the workplace. When you're having fun, when work isn't work, it's an exciting place to be. You know, we spend more time at work than we do with our families. Why not have fun? 
Thomas, in your book, you write about the different generations that come together in a workplace. Let's have you talk about the different generations you see in the workplace today and and then maybe get into a little bit about the positive side of that and then also maybe get into maybe some of the conflict that that creates. Yeah, very good. Well, we've worked with over 20,000 organizations throughout the Midwest. So almost without exception, in every one of those organizations, there are four generations of people. Now, I have to back up and just say that when I got into the workforce, and maybe when you did, there were only two generations when I came in. There were the old people, and there was those of us young people who were trying to make our way. And we always worked for the old guys. And we understood that clearly. We respected them. They, I don't know if they respected us or not, but, but there were only two. But today, there are four generations, and they're quite different. I refer to the older, the baby boomers and the traditionalists, as digital immigrants in my book. And a lot of it focuses in on technology. That's good news, and that's bad news. The uh, millennials uh, who are in their uh, 20s, the youngest in the, in the workforce today, they're not digital immigrants. They are solid citizens of the digital world. They grew up with it. They understand it. And they will always be better than the rest of us. You know, the, there's the millennials and then, uh, and then there's the Gen Xers after that. Uh, those are born between 1965 and 1976. The baby boomers were born from 1946 to 1964. And the traditionalists were born before 1946. Now, the interesting thing is that I call this decade one of the most exciting decades to be living and working in. I call it the 2020 decade. But there is a new fifth generation uh, waiting in the wings, and they're 12 to 14 years old now, and they're called the Generation 2020. When they come in, there will be five generations working side by side. Each one is different. Each one has different needs. Each one has unique giftedness, and that's the important part of this. We need to be able to understand and learn from each other, and if we can do that and synergize, this next seven years, I believe, will be the most exciting business years that we have ever encountered in this country. Why do you believe that? Well, it's, it's very simple. When you look at the giftedness, uh, a baby boomer or a generation or a traditionalist who um, is struggling along, probably not on Facebook or LinkedIn, uh, but maybe some of them are, but they are, they're struggling, whereas it's second nature. It's the main means of communication to, to the younger, younger folks. And, you know, what we have tr- traditionally done as people, as people groups, is we look at a, a millennial, someone in their 20s working alongside of us. And let's say that, that we're baby boomers. And we see them sitting at their desk, and they're texting someone personal calls, texting or per- doing personal calls, and we think, and I, I, you've heard this, we've all heard it. You know, this young kid, they're not doing any work. All they do is sit in the office and text their friends all day. Well, that doesn't go very far with building a coaching relationship with them. But if you look at their giftedness and build relationships with them, and that's not easy to do, but if we can, can become generational coaches, and every one of us, in my opinion, should have at least three or four coaching relationships with different generations. And as we do that, 
we will learn, first of all, from them. Because you, you cannot become a coach by telling someone you're going to become a coach. You have to be asked to become a coach. And if you can become a generational coach, be asked by someone because you are looking at that younger person or that older person, if you're going up the ladder, with genuine amazement, and that's the key word here, to be amazed by their giftedness. That's the beginning of becoming a generational coach. Then you can leverage all the giftedness of three or four other generations added to your own. My dad used to say to me when I was a small boy, he said, Tom, he said, two heads are always better than one. And I remember that like he was here today telling me that. But just think what you could do if you have five heads, four heads, four generations of giftedness besides yourself that you have been able to leverage. That's where this huge, huge burst of energy is going to come from in our country. And I believe there's enough people waking up on this across many different levels and disciplines of not just business, but in lots of other areas where they're recognizing that there is this giftedness that they can leverage into and become better, smarter, stronger, more effective if they can just be amazed by their neighbor next door sitting at the next cubicle or the next desk. Thomas, is is it safe to say you're part of the baby boomer generation? No, actually, I'm a traditionalist. I'm in the oldest section of that. And so I'm keenly aware of what used to be. Having said that, I work probably harder than anybody you know at being a, uh, a digital citizen. And, uh, I mean, I'm on Facebook, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, uh, you know, all of those things. And I work hard at it because I need to be there if I want to communicate with millennials and, and Gen Xers and, for that matter, baby boomers as well. So. That's the challenge. I have friends who are traditionalists and who were born back in the 40s, and they just look down their nose at the people who spend all their useless time on digital world. What a mistake. What a terrible mistake they're making. They're isolating themselves from the giftedness. And that traditionally, Jim, is what's been happening in the recent decades, is that we have created silos of people within their own generations. I, I'm sure that you saw, have seen this yourself and, and our listeners today, whether they're, whether they're millennials or Gen Xers or baby boomers. We usually hang around with people our own age. We, we went to school with them. Are, they got married the same time we did. They had children the same time we did. And we all kind of grow up in a silo. Well, think about how that is. Think about how limiting that is. If all of your information is coming from people just like you. My father-in-law used to use the term on that, and he was a top executive with the FDIC, hundreds of people working for him. And he said that when you do that, when you only hang around with people your own age, you're pooling your ignorance. And and I, I like that. It's kind of negative, but, but I like it because it, it tells you that you can't do that in today's digital world. Back in 1965, when the, the microchip was invented, one of the top executives from Microsoft predicted that technology would double every 18 months from here forward. And for just about 50 years now, not quite, that's exactly what happens. It has been every year, digital capacity and technology, has every 18 months it's doubled. And so if, if you think, just use simple logic, and say that if digital world is doubling every, every 18 months and you're doing things the same way you did a year ago or five years ago or 10 or 20 years ago, where does that leave you? You are so far behind that there's no hope for catching up. 
I get asked this a lot. Well, why should I do this? You know, I'm, 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 my business is going okay. It's a bad economy. Why should I embrace this? The answer is when you embrace this and when you leverage and get out of your silo and you get all that giftedness going, the growth is absolutely phenomenal. Our company, we're in the office business, so if your business is not doing well, what in the world would be the motivation for you to buy new cubicles for your people or new desks or new, a new receptionist? Why would you want to do that unless there was a strong reason to do it, a financial reason as well? And so when I say we're not in the furniture business, we're in the great places to work business, because when you create a great place to work, we're also are still hanging on by their fingernails uh, or out of business because of what happened in 2008 and 2009 when our whole industry got cut in half. Right after, two, after that happened, our business increased. We, we took a cut like everybody did, but then it grew. In less than three years, we doubled our business, and we're still doing that. And people say, well, how can that be? I only point to one thing. It's the great workplace revolution and uh, paying attention to people, putting them first. We're talking with Thomas Klobuchar, and his book is The Great Workplace Revolution. Thomas, is it safe to say that most people in a leadership role are either traditionalists or baby boomers? That used to be true. The new entrepreneurs are lots younger, and, uh, and that's exciting. I find that very exciting. But we still have a lot of baby boomers holding on, in fact, coming back to work, but they'd retired and, and their 401k crashed and, and uh, ran out of money, and they had to get back into the workplace. Incidentally, the, the boomers and the traditionalists, the, one of the largest people groups coming back into the workforce, and they're being accepted very well because they're very talented people. But the new businesses that are starting, some of them are, are by that people group, but a larger majority would be in the Gen Xers and, surprisingly, quite a few millennials. Many schools, large universities like University of Illinois, Bradley University, I speak at both of those, those schools on a regular basis, and they have full-course studies, on entrepreneurial studies. And it's, these young kids are coming out of school with a, with a fresh degree, and they're, they're starting businesses. And um, so it's, it's not either or, it's, it's, uh, it's both, and I think the real growth is going to be with uh, younger people coming out of school, not wanting to work at McDonald's at minimum wage, starting their own business and, and creating their own future. In your research on the book and your own experience, you talked earlier that you know, we tend to stay in our silos, the, the people our age, the similar experiences we grew up with, we tend to migrate towards those. In your research for this book, do the baby boomers have trouble communicating with the Gen Xers, and do the Gen Xers have trouble communicating with the millennials, and do the traditionals have, uh, traditionalists have trouble communicating with everyone? Is it, is, it, is it between each silo, or is there one group of this that really struggles more than the other? Well, that's a, that's a real interesting question, uh, and I'm still working that one out. There is a lot of competition in the workplace between uh, the Gen Xers and the baby boomers, and here's why. The Gen Xers, you know, they've been in the, in the workplace for quite a few years, but they're bumping into boomers who are their bosses, and they're not even thinking about retirement. They used to be. They were always thinking we're going to get out of here at 55 and 60 for sure, some of them did that, came back in because they had to, and they're taking, they're grabbing their jobs back. And whereas the the Gen Xers are uh, are getting stalled in the workplace because there's the the boomers have the jobs, 
And so there's quiet but uh, dramatic competition between those two groups, uh, more so probably than, than others. Now, is it easy for a millennial to relate to a boomer or a traditionalist who acts and talks like a boomer or a traditionalist? You bet. They won't give you the time of day unless you look at them with amazement, and that's that key word again. And I, 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 I like to liken that if someone is trying to figure out what does that actually mean. Any of us who can remember when you came and went to visit Grandma's house, and, uh, you, you know, whatever age you were, but especially if you were a young child, younger child, when you went to Grandma's house, she looked at you with utter sheer amazement. You were the greatest kid ever born. You, 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 were the most, you were the smartest kid. You had all the giftedness, and she just treated you as if you were a, a, a king or a queen. That's how we have to start looking at the other generations. And when we do that, if you can do it honestly, if you can do it with integrity, that's the hard part because they're different. But if we can do that without falseness in established relationships, they will trust you. They will mentor you, if you can imagine that. You, if you can, they will share their giftedness with you, and then you will be able to share your giftedness with them because they need it. They need it sorely. And, uh, um, and that's when this great lift is going to occur. And I believe it's going to happen during this decade, in this next seven years, as we all learn that, that is, that's how we succeed. And uh, so it's a pretty exciting time. I think it's going to be my most exciting. I've been, I've been in the workplace um, nearly 40 years, uh, and, and I believe completely that the next seven years will be the most exciting, profitable, and fulfilling seven years of my entire business career. Thomas, if um, people in our audience out there you heard your statistic that uh – on average, 40 to 65% of the people are un- unhappy in, the, in their workplace. How would you know that? If you're a leader and you're stuck in your silo, what are some of the signs or indicators that w- maybe tell you that your people just aren't happy with what's going on? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And here's one of the easiest ways to do it and the least expensive way to do it. You mentioned in my introduction that we have uh, one of the best places to work in Illinois uh, two times. Well, we won it for the third time uh, last May. And we, there were 50 winners in the state of Illinois, and um, we were number 11. And I, I was the, the keynote speaker for that presentation ceremony. I would suggest to our listeners here that, that in Iowa, I'm sure there's the best places to get on the Internet, type in best places to work Iowa uh, and, um, and or whatever state you're in, and you will find uh, that organization. It's a national organization. Ours was sponsored by a, a local newspaper and uh, the Illinois Chamber of Commerce, but it's facilitated by the Best Places to Work organization. Now, what happens there is every employee in your organization fills out a computer digital questionnaire that goes to Best Places to Work, and you don't see it. And they ask very important questions. And those questions will tell you tell the story as are they happy or are they unhappy and some of t- sometimes it's it's surprising and sometimes it hurts but that's how you that's how we get better and we've done that uh now three years and uh uh and i encourage everybody to do that i have no axe to grind on that except that it's a great it's a great way to survey now in my book be remiss if i didn't say this on page 63 of my book uh, there is a survey that you can take yourself and ask yourself some thoughtful questions 
about what you're doing, and it will help you to determine if you, in fact, are a great place to work. It's a self-assessment of where you are right now, and um, that's, that's what I would do. That's where I would start, and uh, you, you'll, be, you'll be surprised, as I was when we did it the first time, because I thought we were already a great place to work. And, um, and when I, I, we just hired five new people this week for our organization. We're growing fantastically. And uh, one of the things I tell people when they, they come to work, because they, they want to work here because we are a great place to work and we're getting the cream of the crop, but I, I quickly tell them that this process of great places to work is a moving target, and we never get there. It's, it's a destination, and we're always headed for it. And so it changes. It keeps changing. And that's what's so exciting about it, because it's a it's a moving target, and we're we're good today, but we're not as good as we're going to be next month, next year, or five years from now. We're talking with Thomas Klobuchar. His book is The Great Workplace Revolution. Thomas, listening to your story today, and, and given your 35 plus years in business, the question that comes to mind is when you look at those decades and they're all defining decades in some way or another and a gentleman said the other day that uh, the most relevant time in history is from your birth till today in other words you think everything happens from your birthday till today you've you've seen a lot of changes in the workplace and and obviously you talk about the four generations that are coming in as employees today what's the one thing you've done to stay relevant to adapt to the change and, and adjust to the times. Yeah, and I, I don't know if there is one thing, uh, but um, I think if, if I had to say one thing, you know, I would, I would just say that, you know, typically in, in the generations, uh, my generation and in the other, gener- other generations who've been around longer, um, uh, we've always looked at the employee as... Um, Somewhere down the line, they, they, you know, they were. After all, we're writing a check. We're paying. We're paying for their health care. Uh, so keep your head down. Keep working. Don't talk. You know, it's my way or the highway. That's the old way, and that's how I grew up in a, in the, in my when I came into the business world, and that was the norm. But as I said about the digital world, it's changing so rapidly now, and with and with four soon to be five generations, we have to be ready to change. I don't care if you're 20 or if you're 40 or 60 or 70 or 80. Um, the, the, the game changer here is being willing to accept the change and, and, and leverage it for yourself and your company, your organization. And that, that's what we have done. And, and I, uh, I, I like to think of myself as an entrepreneur. I, 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 I stretch myself with men in, with, by hanging around with people who are a lot smarter than I am and um, and are doing exciting things. I read tons of books, and um, uh, and I, if you're not doing that, and if you're just satisfied with status quo, you you might as well just move over because eventually the people who are are doing the things we're talking about and are exercising the twelve essential strategies and are understanding the four soon to be five generations are going to be eating your lunch and taking your business every day of your life until you go out of business or you sell your business. It's sad to hear it, but it's so exciting to be on the other side of this when you are in the front of the learning curve, and it makes work fun. And, you know, it's, it's great to make work fun for your employees. How many of your listeners are sitting there thinking, boy, I'm a, I'm a senior manager, or I'm, a, I'm, I'm the CEO of a company, 
and I'm not having fun. I can't wait till I can get out of here and go play golf. Well, if that's the case, would you like to be happy? Would you like to enjoy your work? And that's you enjoy it when you help your people have fun in their work and put them as number one. And, and you then will be like me who thinks that the next seven years are going to be the best years of my working career, and I can't wait for tomorrow. So it's, um, that's an exciting place to be. We're talking with Thomas Cloverture. His book is The Great Workplace Revolution, 12 Essential Strategies for Creating a Great Place to Work. Uh, Thomas, if I wanted to join your revolution, uh, where would I go to find more information? Well, you could, uh, you could certainly uh, um, come to my website, my blog site, uh, which is uh, www.thegreatworkplacerevolution.com. That's, it's rich with uh, information. Uh, you could order a free uh, executive summary of the book. You can order the book itself. Uh, and you can see videos and, and uh, postings uh, uh, of all kinds about, uh, about the information we've just been talking about. Thomas, you mentioned uh, that uh, you have another project in the wings, uh, another book, you said? Yes, that's right, uh, and I'm really excited. I just finished writing it. Uh, it's called The Great Workplace Transformation, and if you think of a revolution, you know, revolution in third world countries means that, you know, the guy in the castle won and the losers are lying in the streets uh, bleeding or dead. In the great workplace revolution, I say that, that it's the revolution where everybody wins, and that's true. Now, the book itself that we've been talking about here is uh, all of the details, all of the strategies, all, all about five generations in the workplace, all the tools. Well, the the second book is a sort of a one-minute manager style. It's a fiction book, fictional characters who are living this. It's a fable of how you can transform failure to wow in the workplace. It's it's an exciting book. It's coming out, and it'll be published in about six to eight weeks tops, and um, so it'll be available then, and it's a, it'll be a short read. It'll be a, it's the kind of a, a tool that if you were starting a great place to work revolution in your company, you would want to get a book for everybody in, in your company, first of all, uh, with those tools. But you might start them with the work, great workplace transformation. It's an easy read, and when they read it, they'll get it, and they'll understand what you're trying to do with your organization. So I'm really excited about that. It's been fun to do because I've, I've never written a fiction book before. It came out better than I expected, and I can't wait to get it out into the stores and into the, onto the Internet. Well, we look forward to that. Thomas, is there one question today I should have asked you that I haven't? Well, you know, the, the one question uh, I get asked a lot is, is what's in it for me? You know, that, that's the old question that we all ask. Why would I want to embrace something as revolutionary, to use the word, as that? And you know, if you're a business owner and things are going well, maybe, you know, maybe, you know, your bottom line is doing okay. You know, you're making money and that's fine. But we talk in our organization a, a lot about 10x growth. That's 10 times growth. And that is so counterintuitive to most of us, especially in this business, in this climate. But the what's in it for me is, first of all, you'll have fun, much more fun. Second of all, you will be a leader in your, in your community as a company because you'll be taking business away from your competition because the creative people have choices today, and they will work for great places to work. And if you're not one, 
you're going to be losing your creative people or you will not be able to hire the creative people that you need. So the what's in it for me is you're going to become much more successful and you're going to have more fun. And it's just a, it's a wild ride. I, I've never had, again, I've, I've been in the business, business world for almost 40 years. I have never had as much fun as I've had in the last three. And I've never, and I'm sure the next seven are going to be the most fun I'm ever going to have. If I have the time, I have one other thought for you. Could, sure. I, could, could I leave this with you? Absolutely. This is not about me. It's not about my book. But uh, there's a, another writer that I recently discovered. His name is Roy Spence, Jr. He's the author of, of It's Not What You Sell, It's What You Stand For. I'd recommend it. I, I never met the guy, I, uh, but I, I'd recommend the book. He made a quote that I wrote down, and I carry it around with me. This is what it says. When the ashes clear from this economic Armageddon, the only organizations left standing will be the ones that actually stand for something. Without a purpose that improves people's lives and contributes to the greater good, organizations will struggle. I just believe in that with every fiber of my body and mind, and he just said it so well. We have to have a purpose, and what greater purpose is there than to create a great place to work and give your employees a happy, productive, profitable company to work for. So that would be a closing statement. Thank you, Thomas. Thanks for letting me uh, talk with your listeners, uh, Jim. This has been a great time. I appreciate that. The book is The Great Workplace Revolution, and the author is Thomas Klobuchar. Thomas, thanks for being on the program. You're quite welcome. Thank you. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website, biztalkradioshow.com, where you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at BizTalk1040 and like us on Facebook. If you want to learn the strategies finding and getting performance out of A-player salespeople, contact Performance Group by calling 800-950-9509 or visit us on the web at pmgllc.net. This has been your host, Jim Lovato.